0: Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world to hear fantastic stories of their journeys. And through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gears, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting bike pack adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks, and keep on peddling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski, and I interview bike tourists from around the world to bring you stories of their adventures and experiences. These are people who get out there and leave the comfort zone of the typical 9-to-5 to embark on ambitious adventures and take on challenges that most people can only dream about. If you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with other bike tours you know or anyone else you think may be interested. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tour Adventures. In part two of the interview with Nima Khalhari, we are talking about his travels through Tunisia and Morocco and discussing various tips and tricks as well as the wonderful people he met, the food and the sights and sounds and places that uh, that really struck a note with him. So stay tuned for the conclusion of the interview with Nima. Thanks. Nima, tell me, why did you decide to go to Africa in the end? I mean, well, Northern Africa.
1: I always uh, wanted to visit Morocco because you hear it all the time from uh, friends here. Whoever has ever been in Morocco uh, recommends it mm-hmm. as a uh, very uh, interesting fascinating place to visit and uh, i was always looking for, for an opportunity to to make it happen and uh, like as i explained before my my route planning at the first was very rigid and then i just let it go with the flow and mm-hmm. uh, i ended up uh, in sicily in italy and uh, and I, I i realized that it was a uh, uh, not really far from uh, Tunisia, which is another African country, uh, and it was just ten hours away on a ferry ride. Okay. Uh, so uh, I didn't know much about Tunisia, and uh, also my my ninety-day uh, Schengen staying was running out quick, and I already had decided to go back uh, home in another thirty-five days. So. I had to get out of uh, Schengen countries and uh, which was a blessing in disguise. So that's how kind of it happened like a like sort of uh, idea of Morocco and Tunisia came after.
0: Okay. And so you left yeah. Sicily and you took a
1: you took a ferry to Tunisia? Uh yes, correct. There are ferries going from uh, Palermo uh, directly to Tunis, which is the capital mm-hmm. of uh, Tunisia. And what was the ride like? What yeah. was the boat ride like? the boat ride was very very choppy i was sick all the time uh, oh, yeah. uh that was on ferry i was just lying couldn't uh get my head off because i was feeling nausea, nausea and uh it wasn't really fun and i a couple of times i wanted to go and use bathroom was like being you know uh, like sh- shaking around and it was a very very choppy ferry ride. However. Uh, there are apparently other, like I chose the, the cheaper option. Mm-hmm. There's another ferry line that uh, they have bigger boats. Oh, okay. And it's uh, less uh, shaky yeah. and uh, more comfortable. Okay. Which I tried later from uh, Morocco to Barcelona and I, I was uh, doing a lot better. I saw in
0: your post yeah. that they're not really friendly with bike tourists. Why, why do you think that is, that they, they, they're so hesitant to let bike tourists into Tunisia?
1: Um, you know, Tunisia had an incident. I don't know exactly. I didn't research it properly, but apparently it was a few years back that they had a sort of terrorist uh, incident. Okay. And that substantially, like, significantly uh, brought down their tourism industry. Mm. And uh, for them, they have some sort of touristy designated areas like beaches and some well protected or supervised, you know, uh, tourism sort of uh, uh, regions and zones that they really want tourists to go to those places. Okay. So they know what is it like to be a bike tourer. You just go anywhere, and uh, it's, uh, they cannot really see you. That's my that's my uh, best guess. Yeah. The attack was
0: in two thousand fifteen. I just checked it out.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the reasons, and another one is probably like tourists are not like you know the the ones that uh, contribute the most to their economy because they have very low budget type of uh, uh, traveling. Bunch of cheap bastards that we are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's who we are. (laughs) Nice. Yeah.
0: So how did you manage to get across the border? And uh, maybe this is some good advice you can give to other tourists at the same
2: time.
1: Yes, I can give uh, some advice. And also, so for my case, I kind of just brought this question up, uh, like, what is a bike touring like in Tunisia, in this bike touring Facebook page, scattering uh, and bike hiking? Mm-hmm. And I got quite a few uh, good feedback and uh, responses. And somebody let me know that he had to go all the way to Tunisia, a French cyclist, cycle tour, and they turned him back right from the port. And then I put up another question, like, how can I avoid this situation? And super friendly Tunisian writer, he started messaging me directly on Facebook, and I just followed all his advice, and it was a lifesaver. He told me what to say, what not to say, and I had to basically pretend to be a, a good tourist. So what do you, What did he tell to, you
0: to say and not to say and stuff?
1: So I had to show them that I had a return flight ticket and okay. uh, I had uh, booked some places uh, to stay, like hotels in some touristy areas. And also I had to tell them that I was not going to bike tour at all. I was going to leave my bike somewhere in a hotel and they interrogated me for like 45 minutes. And at some point I thought they were uh, deporting me. Because they took me back, I was with another, uh, I met a German uh, uh, backpacker in mm-hmm. our hostel and we were together and she passed through and they, they turned me back to some interrogation <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. booth. And so finally, uh, and luckily with all the advice that my friend, Mohammed Fatih, he was the, the friend that he helped me and I answer all the questions and he had come and, to pick me up. Uh, it was like 1 a.m. at the port. So. Super, super friendly guy. Nice. He took me to this place, and basically, every good thing happened, started from this uh, generous, friendly bike tour that okay. I met through Facebook. Yeah.
0: And uh, what, what was your route through Tunisia? I mean, I, I can see that it's really there's only a little bit of green at the top of the country. And, uh, then, it, and then it becomes kind of desert pretty quick. Yes. So, where correct. did you go? And uh,
1: Tunisia is, uh, is incredibly diverse. In such a small country, like you see so many different things, and a natural, you know, di- uh, nature diversity is is fascinating. Like there mm-hmm. is a really green area in the north, uh, and northwest part, and uh, uh, like Mediterranean type of, uh, you know, green uh, forests, uh, which I didn't visit, and the reason why was it was already end of November, and uh, it was cold. Yeah. cold means and rain. So uh, that's uh, one of the, like I, I was told by Tunisian uh, bike tours, that's a very, very popular place to bike tour. But when it's uh, warmer, probably in summer or like in shoulders uh, seasons. And another part is the desert part. It's warmer, uh, not very warm at night, but the best thing is it doesn't rain. So basically, and I just followed, this is like my, my traveling uh, mm-hmm. style. I always follow local advice. I don't plan too much ahead. I didn't know where I was going even uh, the next day. I was already in Tunisia, in Muhammad's place. Oh, wow, nice. So we just sat down and he he uh, planned out all my route in Tunisia. So I, uh, I got a bus from Tunis all the way at the edge of Sahara, uh, oh. near Algerian border. Okay. Yeah, like a night nice bus. Yeah. Um, I got to this little tiny, uh, like big village or very small town called Nesta, and I got there at 3am in the middle of this uh, totally unknown place and everywhere was shut down. Even there were no dogs, uh, like stray dogs on the street. Oh yeah, I see, Nesta.
0: it's near a lake, right? No, that was a
1: couple of days after the place I camped. Okay. Yeah, this place, uh, uh, your question was if it was a lake? Yeah, is there a lake there? No. Uh, no, no, okay. it it, uh, it was a sort of uh, like a man-made pool, okay. like a like a sort of very old ancient pool that they used to irrigate. I mm-hmm. guess I uh, didn't research it properly, but it looked like a like a you know nice uh, old place with lots of palm trees all around it, which I did visit. But that was basically starting from edge of Sahara, northernmost uh, part of uh, edge of Sahara, Okay. and Going through the edge of Sahara, like uh, uh, Sahara and all those big sand dunes are all on your right side if you're going from uh, west to east. Oh, okay. Yes, that's really cool. So, yes, yeah, so it started from there, and uh, basically, I toured in Sahara area, like 80 percent in Sahara area. Uh, uh, I did around maybe seven hundred kilometers in about one week, and then I continued on. I got a train a little bit further north uh, to a place called El Elgem, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a very old uh, Roman uh, ar- archaeological site. And I biked back to Tunisia another 300 kilometers in two days.
2: Ah, uh, okay.
1: Yeah, I managed to stay dry for the entire trip in, in Tunisia. And it was fascinating that uh, Sahara and uh, all those uh, Uh, They'll call uh, Amazigh or what people know in Europe, Berber towns in Sahara and uh, like caves type of, uh, you know, old ancient towns and villages. Tell us, what
0: was it like sleeping in the Sahara at night and uh, the people you met, the food you ate? I mean, your posts look good.
1: There are two uh, natural settings that I love the most. One of them is... uh, mountains another one is sahara uh being in in sahara and especially if you're somewhere that there is nothing whatsoever all around you everything looks so different it's so quiet and peaceful because there's even no uh no vegetation or anything to make Mm. a vibration and and noise and uh, everything is so surreal so first night i sort of caught through through a sort of uh uh, salt lake that is most of the year it's dry but it's kind of wet because oh, okay. like salt and clay at the bottom so when you walk it's kind of uh, you can it's like uh, you, there's all moisture mm-hmm. underneath so I saw like this road goes like when you look at the map you feel like you're uh, going uh, cutting a, a lake in half basically. Ah. But what it really was, was basically uh, mostly dry, totally flat, as flat as a pancake uh, sort of land, and uh, like mostly covered with salt. Uh, So near, so I wanted to camp somewhere. And I knew like when I did decide to continue through that lake, that I wouldn't make it to the other side of the lake. I just had, you know, what I thought was enough water carrying with me and Mm -hmm. food for one extra day. And and I knew uh, I had to sleep somewhere. So it was nothing anywhere until I kept going. I saw some sort of vague uh, like a object, like about a kilometer or two inside the lake or that flat land. And it looked like a, like a big vehicle of some sort, but it was really hard to distinguish what it really was. And I just stopped and started walking my bike. Towards it, I kept going for about half an hour, and it, you know, the more I went, I the more I realized that it was. So it was an abandoned bus. I don't know how many decades ago it was all rusted and like uh, rusted away, basically. And uh, so I, I was also a sort of a obstacle or like a sort of object that I I, I could be protected from being seen. Uh-huh. Just, just for safety reasons.
0: So I, I, think, I think that's why I thought I saw a lake was because when I look at the map and you're in NAFTA, it looks like a yeah. lake. But when you go on the, when I go on the Google view, you can see that there's no water there. So I think that's the salt lake.
1: Yes, probably that's a seasonal lake. When it's uh, uh, it rains, uh, it rains a lot in the desert and uh, it fills up uh, for a while and and then it evaporates becomes dry yeah again. it's
0: called Chott el jerid I think it's a uh, salt lake actually I think that might be it yeah very cool yes
1: so first uh, night in Sahara was a uh, really surreal like fascinating place to camp yeah
0: and uh, you you met I mean you you had a chance to interact and meet some of the um, traditional tribal people in the area too
1: right uh, yes I did so basically I carried on in desert um so what happened was, uh, Mohamed and my friend, uh, there is a really, really, uh, lovely uh, bike touring community in, in Tunisia. And Tunisia mm-hmm. is not a very big country. And, uh, a sort of every bike tourer tends to know each other. Um, okay. So I was passed along from friend to friend, uh, the, uh for, for the planned route that I was doing in Tunisia. So uh, first place I was uh, was a sort of village oasis that was beautiful uh, oasis in the middle of uh, desert. I believe it was around uh, three or four hundred kilometers after Nesta. Okay. Um, the last day I did really big day for 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 my fitness was like one hundred sixty five kilometers. A lot of it was headwind, and I I needed to to make it. Uh, or I wanted to make it, I could still you know, camp in desert somewhere, but I was mentally uh, determined to make it uh, all the way to that place. So okay. that was a sort of oasis, but uh, which was called uh, Kasar Kulane, truly fascinating place with an old Roman uh, uh, ruins, remnants of a sort of a, a castle, uh, middle, middle of, you had to walk like four or five kilometers okay. to like uh, sand dunes to get there and I walked with some friends before sunrise and we were there for sunrise which was uh, truly fascinating
2: Amazing.
1: and then from there uh, I biked uh, uh, another uh, 100 or 160 kilometers that I got to this region that uh, there are a few, uh, it's a big concentration of uh, Amazon uh, uh, people that are still living there mm-hmm. They are uh living on top of these beautiful hills and mountains, and the the landscape changes quite a bit. It reminded me of Arizona, like uh all the mountains like Canyonland and uh Utah places like that. It was a uh, really really uh fascinating uh road to to bike through It was uh very special and yes, that's uh, some villages uh there were like three, four main uh towns and villages. That uh, in a couple of the people are still living, same people a way, uh, very similar to the way they used to live for, for millennia, okay. in that region. So Amazon people are basically the first uh, inhabitants of North Northern Africa, as far as I I know, uh, like a few thousand years, and they have their own language, they have their own uh, uh, alphabet, uh, mostly in Algeria, in Morocco. In uh, in Tunisia they they do, didn't have an alphabet. Uh, in Tunisia, the, pop- the percentage of uh, Amazon people is just around three four percent. People who no, really still small. speak that language. Mm-hmm. But in Morocco and Algeria, it's more than fifty percent of people speak Amazon language, and it's I, I really like uh, that culture uh, and uh, the, how how simple they, li- they live and uh, how. Uh, you know, in tune there with nature.
0: The historical people are the same across the different countries, yeah.
1: Yes, uh, same people. And I didn't do enough research to know where did they come from. But I heard talking with some friends that they were quite knowledgeable about history of Africa, and they mentioned uh, it's a uh, sort of controversial where these people came from. They some people think they came from from Middle East. Some people think they came from like uh, across Mediterranean okay. Sea. But uh, apparently they are the first people who actually inhabited that region. Um, how, how are they different than the Berber people?
0: Are they Is it the same or is it different?
1: Uh, so, yes, I was told uh, by a really uh, good friend of mine, like she is now biking from uh, Cairo to Cape Town solo. Oh, okay. Uh, she is from uh, Morocco. And I was uh, using this uh, term Berber, and she let me know that she doesn't like this term because it was initially, uh, like people in Northern Africa, we are called Berber by French people. It uh, kind of has a connotation yeah, of, yeah. uh, like savages. And uh, so I stopped using that term and she told me the right, you oh, know, politically correct, uh, yeah. Uh, you know term for that is Amazig, what they call themselves,
0: okay, so it's just um it's yeah. like it's like us saying Indians for Native American Canadians yeah
1: you know? yeah like yeah, yeah Similar. Got it. okay, good, yeah. To, good to know mm-hmm. and what was the food like? Food in Africa was absolutely fascinating like everything has flavor, taste, and very healthy uh, in Tunisia uh I like obviously I didn't cook. In Tunisia and Morocco, mm-hmm. because it's uh, it's quite inexpensive and the food in those countries is legendary, really. In in Tunisia, they it's a small country and they have a lot of good uh, agriculture going on. Like they're the biggest producer of dates and a lot of uh-huh. pastry and and uh, you know uh, dessert uh, type of food is freshly made from natural ingredients their food they have uh, they're one of the top producers of best olive in the world in the in the world and they have uh, best olive oils and really good bread and fruits and vegetables citrus fruit everything is so abundant and so available and uh, so basically uh, like if you stay away from uh, touristy areas everything is very very inexpensive in Tunisia i was having like really really uh good meals for for around just one dollar okay like big sandwiches for 50 cents uh of uh, all sorts of ingredients so they don't have like ketchups or or mayonnaise or Mm -hmm. anything like that they make all their dressings and everything from scratch from eggplants uh uh, onions uh, tomatoes and uh and that sort of uh, fresh ingredients can you Can you tell us why you didn't just
0: cycle from Tunisia to Morocco through Algeria? Is it not allowed or what's the reason
1: uh yes uh a uh, very good question uh I really wanted to to uh to also uh, bike through Algeria and I have heard so much about Algeria like how beautiful it is mm-hmm. and how how friendly people are in algeria and uh there was two uh, i had two problems uh, two issues okay. uh to, to go to Algeria. First one was I couldn't, uh, uh, cross from Algeria to Morocco because the land border has been, uh, uh shut down for 15 years or something like that ah, between okay. two countries for political reasons. And, uh, second reason was, uh, I was running out of time, uh, because Algeria is a pretty big country yeah, and, huge. uh, Yes, I had the uh boats to catch from Tangier and I also wanted to see Morocco and I simply if I wanted to bike from Algeria to to Morocco I I couldn't see some place some other places mm-hmm. in in Morocco. But uh, but uh, anyway, it was just not doable. Another option would have been I I had to bike all the way to Almeria somewhere in Almeria, I think it's uh, in Spain. Uh, Wahan, I guess, uh, if I'm not uh, mistaken, to take a boat to Spain, Almeria, and come back to Morocco. Oh, I see. Uh, Are there flights from
0: Algiers to to Morocco or not even flights? Uh,
1: Yes, that's also an option, but since I didn't have enough time anyway, uh, I ended up uh, uh, getting a flight from from Tunis uh, to Casablanca in Morocco. So I, I realized Algeria is also a, uh, probably a big project, a separate project that uh, I it, I left before for another trip.
0: All right, perfect. So you flew into Casablanca. Yes. How did you get around? I think you took some public transit. You kind of mixed it in with your biking as well, right? Uh, where did you go in, in Morocco, and how long did you spend there?
1: Yes, again, uh, like my style of planning was I met another truly amazing uh, guy like a cycle long distance cycle tour and also ultra distance runner oh cool through some other friends so i was still being passed around by friends uh, this is how people are in in africa like in morocco and tunisia everybody is so connected and people are are you know like social bonds are mm-hmm. so strong so i was uh, introduced to this uh, Super friendly man called Hisham, and he, like I flew to Casablanca, and he already invited me to his place, and I went straight to Hisham's place. I had no idea where I want where I wanted to go from there, and I told him I just come there and talk to you, and uh, just take it uh, uh, from uh, uh, after uh, our my my route is planned uh, by you, and so. Basically, uh, he like, uh, so Morocco is a lot bigger than Tunisia, and I had around 12 days. And I had a a boat ferry ticket uh, from Tangier in 12, 13 days to Barcelona to catch my flight back to Vancouver. So, first thing we did, I packed all my stuff I was not using in Africa and put them into a bag, and we went to a a bus company. I, I shipped them all. To Tanger, my final destination, mm-hmm. which I could pick it up within two weeks, so I was a lot lighter. I had nothing except uh, my camping gear and uh, a small backpack of uh, you know toiletries and like. Ah, uh, that like that explains why I,
0: I saw some pictures where you had just a backpack on the, the rack, and I thought you were that was your whole trip. But no, you had already just shipped off yes. your luggage. Got it?
1: Yeah. So basically, I just cut down on things I've. Like, really didn't meet uh, and they were not essential. I was just carrying them. And then uh, the rest of the trip was uh, basically following the, the Atlantic Ocean coastline southward.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and just uh, continuing uh, like the, that coastline, uh, Hisham had done it a couple of times before. So my initial plan was to go further and get to a place called Paradont, which is around uh, 600 kilometers from Casablanca and then cut inland, uh, eastward to go over one of the highest passes in Atlas Mountain. Okay. Which is, uh, I think above 2000 or maybe more meters in elevation. And it was already covered in snow. And, uh, but, uh, I ended up not going in that direction because, uh, I, I got to this, uh, uh, town called Esavira, uh, and I love this place so much that huh. I just stayed. Uh, yeah, I just stayed two, three days there, which was not uh, my plan. I was thinking I'm. I live next to mountains uh, back in Vancouver, so I can get as many you know climbs and mountains like I can. But here, I'm to to taking more of uh, what's going on and their culture. So I I went as far as Esavira and stayed there for for two more days, and then got another uh, bus back all the way to Casablanca again. Okay. And uh, I met uh, Hisham again, and uh, then I had another bus scheduled like a few hours after, night bus, all the way to Tanja. And in Tangier, I decided to visit a few more places. Uh, next day, I started biking uh, towards uh, this uh, place called Katawin, Tat- tat- yeah, one. yeah, tat- yes. t- I see it. Tat- and one, yes, yeah. Tatwan tat- was was a pleasant surprise for me because it was so so uh, authentic and untouristy mm. place with one of the most fascinating medinas that I had seen up to that point. That people were living their normal lives in the way they they probably
0: are which is kind of interesting because it's so close to tangier and tangier is so busy with tourism right like i remember i was there in 2007 there was a, quite a few tourists kicking around
1: yes uh, so i was told by everybody uh, like all the local friends in uh, morocco is a little bit uh, morocco Uh, is a little uh, little bit notorious for intensive touristy atmosphere in some specific towns very very
0: very simple tangiers casablanca marrakesh maybe rabat and
1: fez and i think that's where like everybody goes (laughs) yeah so and you know when many tourists go to specific places so much of you know uh like people who really harass tourists and like they they don't let you roam freely and enjoy yeah. the actual vibe of those places. So I didn't really care to see all the cool places and check them out of my checklist. Uh, I just wanted to uh, experience something authentic.
2: Yeah, man. That's, so that's I amazing. decided
1: not to go to Marrakech and Fez, and, uh, which I know uh, they have fascinating uh, medinas and very old uh, history and uh, the uh, architecture is amazing but I was not in that mode of you know checking all the you know tourist attractions mm-hmm. so that was basically the way I designed my trip was uh trying to stay away that's um, cool because
0: like yeah when I went to Morocco I was uh I was 27 and fairly new to back- backpacking and stuff and my idea was like hit up all the tourist spots and uh so you know I I boated in from um from oh, where in the south of Spain to uh, mm-hmm. to Tangier and then we took a bus to to Casablanca and then we took another bus to Marrakesh and then I flew to Barcelona and that was it. It was like four or five days, bam, 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 done. And there's so much more to see, you know, at that time I was young and dumb and now I'm like, ah, oh, why didn't I see everything else?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, like uh, one of the places that I really like Probably one of the places I really liked the most was a totally dusty, run down little village in the middle of nowhere. And I got to this place. It was like, I, and I, 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 went to a local sort of restaurant and ordered some food and they, they made it right there for me and nobody spoke, uh, we really spoke no common language. And it was, uh, I, I really, really, uh, really liked, uh, that atmosphere of, Total authenticity yeah. of uh, that place that had no architectural site, no no cool place to mm-hmm. you know go and check your checklists, but like just people, you know, the way they live their life. Because Morocco could be very modern, like some parts of Morocco, I I could compare it with like uh, San Diego or or LA, oh, wow. like yeah, in Casablanca or Tangier, that like really posh. Uh, neighborhoods like very very fancy stores and and uh, it didn't look quite like Africa <laughs> so although they have uh, also those cool medinas mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, but it's not you know the same as when you see it somewhere that people live their actual life what
0: advice could you give potential bike tours to Morocco um, what would you tell them to go or what to do or or what not to do?
1: Um, I think it depends uh, on people's uh, attitude and uh, what they're looking for. But if somebody is interested to experience real authentic, uh, uh, like if an authentic country, and um, Morocco included, uh, I would stay away from places that everybody wants to go.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of bike tours are like that, right? Like they, they want that authentic experience and, and they do tend to... S- maybe not necessarily skip the touristy places, like, they, like you, you they went to, they'll probably go to Casablanca, but maybe not spend as much time
1: and then just try to get out. Mm-hmm. Although uh, for me, there are some specific, uh, still quite touristic places that I really wanted to see anyway. Uh, like uh, in Tunisia, which is not comparable to uh, like other countries, but there was like this Roman Colosseum in El Jem. That is comparable to the one in Rome.
2: Oh yeah, I've heard. And
1: of uh, yeah, I there were tourists there, and I didn't care because it was so fascinating. That I've been always fascinated with really old ancient, you know, archaeology, mm-hmm. uh, archaeological sites. And uh, like also, I was in South of Mexico a few years ago by touring, uh and, and all my checkpoints were like pyramids. Like Mayan pyramids, oh, yeah. and they were very, very touristy. But I really enjoyed them. So, but uh, I mean, uh, we don't like my advice is don't have to put down all the touristy attractions and check them one after another. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you want to prioritize uh, where which ones you want to see and do that compromise.
0: Do you know if it's safe to 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 cycle tour down into Western Sahara? You know the occupied. Part of Morocco. I
1: I didn't do it personally, but I talked with my friend Hisham, and what I didn't tell about Hisham, Hisham is a is a uh, is a well-known journalist, oh, okay. and uh, yeah, so he's uh, very knowledgeable, and he has lived in different countries, and he has a very like he was probably the best person that I could meet first day getting to Morocco. Mm. So we had uh, very good conversations about culture, about politics, about safety, about everything. And I also asked him this question about uh, the Sahara, Western Sahara. I had no sort of uh, idea of what's going on. And uh, he let me know, he said, like, what is it like? like? Do you even cross the border? Is it like less safe to be there? I said, no, oh, it's just fine. I mean, you just go keep going all the way to Mauritania and uh you don't feel uh, you have uh, crossed into another country, although it's controversial. I don't know much about uh, what happened between uh, those two, uh, you know, uh, charms of uh, Morocco politically and what locals feel about you know being part of Morocco. But mm-hmm. it's apparently uh a safe place to go, uh, according to my friend. Oh,
0: good to know, Dishan.
1: There we yeah. go. So people who do. Uh, uh, like a uh, uh, western part of Africa touring like I know mm-hmm. some friends are now on their way that's the, the route they take, they get to Western Sahara and, they, and then they cross the border to Mauritania Okay, I cool. haven't heard any any negative yeah, uh, sounds safety. Amazing.
0: yeah. Um, what did you enjoy most about Morocco?
1: I enjoyed the most uh, like I said that very authentic places um, I really loved uh, the Savira which is not Totally untouristy, but it's not very touristy. Okay. It's very, very old city with very interesting ports, like a fishing port and Medina. That's where I met uh, Nora, uh, the cyclist that she's now cycling from uh, Cairo to uh, Cape Town. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she showed me around for two days. Uh, she was so friendly and I, you know, and some, and she, she was born there and she knows everything, all the hidden places that tourists don't know and uh, I really fell in love with Savila, it's Medina and its history and its uh, food culture, and also um, Tetuan was amazing. And uh, other than that, uh, other than those uh, specific destinations, I really love that route in general, mm-hmm. following the coastline uh, of the uh, Atlantic Ocean. It's like this agricultural lands. You're kind of perched on top of uh, this cliff, and on your right you see Atlantic Ocean and all uh, cultivated, cultivated land, fresh produce, and people are selling their fresh produce on the road, uh, like right from the uh, from the farm and garden. And food in Morocco is fascinating, like pigeon and like all sorts yeah, of and and yeah, and uh, seafood in. Uh, uh, if you follow Atlantic uh, coastline, all those uh, 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 villages and towns or fishing villages and towns, oh, okay. And they have they have really, really Amazingly uh, fresh, fresh seafood. Yeah, Fresh and incredibly inexpensive. Like you get a whole meal for $1. So who had better food, Tunisia or Morocco? I think if I want to rank food for my entire trip, uh, Tajin in Morocco is... The best food yeah that i ever experienced but in morocco in uh, tunisia they have a really really good uh, uh, like local uh dates and olive and olive oh, oil yeah. which people gave me like gifted me some olive oil uh, somewhere i was just going on the road they invited me to the olive extraction factory and they gave me a big one liter and a half bottle of fresh olive Right from the tap.
0: And you're like, oh, man, what am I going to do with this? I have to carry it now. <laughs>
1: yeah. I left it with uh, my friend uh, mom at the daughter because I couldn't carry it. But yeah. I, I still I'm still thinking about that olive oil because it tasted like nothing else. I've
0: oh, ever man. Tried. Awesome. Yeah. Did you ever have any bad situations, um, whatever that may be, like maybe serious breakdowns or dealing with really bad people or anything like that?
1: Nothing really big, probably. The big picture is not super important. Uh, but something that a little bit bothered me was when I was back in Albania. And Albania was an amazing country. I really liked it. But, so I started not- noticing that uh, my my chain was skipping Okay. when we were somewhere in the middle of Albania with my friend Julio, uh, who joined me in Croatia. The buddy of mine is Italian. From Tuscany, from mm-hmm. Como originally. And uh, then we were, the night before, we were invited by amazing uh, uh, local man in, in, on top of a village. We couldn't find a camping spot and everybody speaks in Albania, Italian, uh, almost everyone because they had, they have been in uh, Italy or they still uh, live or, and work in Italy okay. after communism uh, collapsed in Albania. Many, many people crossed the, uh, as Adriatic Sea to Italy and uh, because there was no economy best in the country. So uh, Italian is like uh, second language, even more than second language in, in Albania. So uh, my friend, uh, so we stayed somewhere, and the day after uh, he, introduced, he let us know about a couple of bike shops in mm-hmm. town. So we went there. Uh, it's a long story, but we ended up uh, spending a whole day over just fixing a chain and then then uh, it didn't fix it and he said he had to change the the cassette because he didn't have the spacers for the uh, for the cassette. But, uh, I, my cassette was fine, but the chain was not compatible with cassette. So oh, long wait. story short, I paid like uh, 80 euros or 70 euros just to fix a chain, and uh, so it was a. Uh, uh, and uh, he was like acting as a friend to my Italian friend, Julio. And mm-hmm. then he kind of uh, ripped, uh, ripped me off and uh, we were a little bit uh, resentful and not very happy with what happened. You know, when that happens, yes, it was like we were so trusting and like so, so, you know, sort of enjoying hospitality and friendship yeah. with those people. It's like kind of, you need to bring your guard up you know that's not
0: oh, okay so yeah sometimes you just have to be more aware and like maybe get a price straight up front instead of waiting on the goodness of people or something right
1: yeah so it was uh, a little bit uh hurtful to and you feel like somebody like you have a friendly conversation you feel like he's a friend and then uh it's uh not exactly what you think yeah but this is a very very trivial as you can see, like, I had really, really uh, no problem in five months. Like, world is a wonderful place. Yeah.
0: Okay, I got a hard question for you. I mean, obviously, there's lots of good people all over the world, but if you had to choose, like, just one place or region, uh, which people most resonated with you that you felt just the absolute most comfortable with?
1: Oh, that was uh, Tunisia. Tunisia, uh, yeah? I don't have to think about it. No? Oh, okay. yeah. Yes. Yes, uh, people in Tunisia were... Absolutely wonderful. I don't know if it was, uh, it started from the first person, being um, Ahmad uh that mm-hmm. introduced me to a lot of wonderful people, but it it's wasn't cool. just those people that I met. It was like everybody on the road that I met. Okay. They were friendly. And uh, uh, yes, yeah, like the place that they invited me uh, to, uh, to see their factory, like Olive uh, Extraction yeah, Factory, yeah. they, Yes, I was uh, initially sitting a little bit, uh, like, in you know, with with your mindset, uh, if you come from West, you try to uh, sort of uh, stay away from people's land and property. And I just, uh, I saw this wall in this factory and I I was like sitting 50 meters away and eating my sandwich. I was eating and then as soon as I finished, I, I, uh, I stood up to start riding off because it was near sunset. I saw those people from the entrance uh, door. They were like waving at me and like you know, like tell me, come, <laughs> come, come, come here. <laughs> I was like, no, what's going on? I was, you know, it was a little bit uh, not sure what they meant. And then I went. and said, Tom, why, why you don't come here? Why are you sitting there? And they took me inside and they every they brought everybody introduced me to all the uh, all the workers there in the factory. There were like ten people, and this guy, uh, the, he introduced me to his. Uh, his papa that's what he called calls <laughs> and the man hugged me and, and they kept asking me do you have a bottle like i didn't realize what they meant and i was like giving my water bottle and then i realized maybe they want to fill it with olive oil so mm-hmm. i had a spare like a uh, uh, water bottle uh, like a uh, plastic bottle mm-hmm. like literally on i was like gave it to him and he goes inside and fills it up with uh, pure olive oil wow. coming right from the tap if they give it to me and they invite me to go and have uh, some baguette and like they dip it into olive oil, yeah, which is oh that's so yeah. good. So um, these are uh, people in Tunisia. This is like a typical encounter with nice. locals on the road. Do you speak French, in Tunisia? Uh, no, but uh, I know some very very basics. Like I used to know a little bit better French, mm-hmm. but I didn't practice. But I was trying out actually Arabic. Because uh, like uh, being Persian, so Persian Parsi yeah, is a yeah. very different language, but we have a lot of imported Arabic, so we we have the same alphabet. And I studied in school Arabic for seven years, which is very standard oh, okay. Arabic. It's not what they speak. Yeah, I, I, I remember read. Sima
0: talking about it. You guys learn like because you have to learn how to read the Quran and stuff. So it's like you you know some yes. you could read. So I survived. Uh, Pretty well. <laughs> was there a, was there anywhere that you would say had the worst food? Like, just the least interesting food on the trip? Worst food. I lived in Sweden, and I thought their food was not very interesting. I don't know how Norway is, but, like, Swedish food itself was nothing special.
1: You know, basically, in, uh, like, more expensive countries, I just cooked my own food. True. So, uh, it's probably I should have tried. I heard there is no, like, a big, you know, uh, uh, like, uh, food diversity in Norway. Like I mm-hmm. heard there's, there's not many, many Norwegian, uh, uh, like they eat, uh, they don't have like meals as far as I, I, that was my, my impression. They have like, they have like, you know, like, uh, cold meat, cuts and cheese and bread, like very healthy. Like, All the healthy. time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, for me, uh, I didn't really eat in a restaurant in Norway because it was, uh, very very expensive yes in other countries I uh, yeah I realized after I had already left uh, Poland I didn't really try Polish food and oh, I was a bit yeah uh, I was a bit sad that I didn't like then I made a so, sort of mental note in myself that any country I go I have to eat at least one or two oh, of good, their yeah. national dishes so I did try in Slovakia I did try in, in Hungary and uh, I think. not uh, they were all good food. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, everywhere I tried good food. Uh, I I can't tell something was uh, some like a bad experience.
0: Was there anything like that really stands out that you you were like wow moments with regards to learning something new? Or
1: yes, uh, I'm glad uh, I'm asking this question now because I'm already back from my trip in a month mm-hmm. and a half. I sort of digested like uh, what else? In uh, what I've seen and what I've been through uh, some positive experience I would say like coming back from this five-month trip and not knowing almost 80% of the nights where I was going to sleep where I was going to be my home that night and and just uh, white camping pitching my tent in like 13 different countries and cool. and I just realized that uh, I stopped worrying about like future Basically, so I'm like a lot more settled now. Like the problems that would bother me before this trip, they look sometimes really funny and uh, unimportant. And I I feel a lot I feel a lot more settled and and uh, happier. I would say uh, everything for me now is like uh, uh, you know on the surface, obstacle looks like a cool experience. Yeah. Because on a daily basis, uh, you're just uh, tackling all those obstacles, and it becomes like uh, you know part of life. Mm -hmm. This
0: is funny because it's actually a recurring theme. A lot of I've had quite a few people say that after a big tour, Mm -hmm. they realize like the things that bothered them before it's silly, and that it shouldn't have bothered them, and they're more patient and they're they're easier to overcome challenges, and um, they just don't let the small things in life bother them as much. So I think that's a really good. um, a good point. What's uh, What's next for you, Nima? What are you planning?
1: Yes, uh, I want to add something to, to the previous question Go before ahead. we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, other than being settled, which probably is related, I feel uh, a lot more humble than what I was before. I don't know where it comes from. Probably, I read somewhere in one of Alastair's books that he has this uh, sentence or quote from him that I was humbled by the road. And it was in my head a lot of times. I was thinking, yes, uh, the road does make you humble, and uh, yes, I, I think that's something very valuable. I consider that for myself. So now, I'm answering your next question yeah. is next thing for me that is planned now. I have a one-way ticket to to Las Vegas, where my 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 parents live from Vancouver in. Uh, in one month. Uh, oh, it's so soon uh, to visit them. Yes, in uh, March tenth, I'm flying to Vancouver to visit my family. Uh, it's a uh, Persian New Year is uh, March twenty first. Mm-hmm. So I want to stay with them, and after a couple of weeks, I want to cycle south southwards towards uh, Mexico, uh, San Diego, crossing the border and going south on Baja California and probably. The uh, plan is getting a boat across the that bay yep. uh, the the inlet and uh, continuing on towards uh mexico city and uh and maybe I climbed the uh, the ice peak in Mexico, which is not far from mexico city oh, okay uh, yes uh and then flying back uh from Mexico city to Vancouver so this is a smaller plan the bigger plan is uh I need to settle some settle some things in my place uh, yeah. where I'm living and well, I want to go everywhere. I want to <laughs> see Africa, <laughs> I want to see South America, but I I realize that uh, I, I, it's better not to make uh, too much uh, ahead plans. Mm-hmm. But I'm very spontaneous with, um, I always play by ear and with my feelings and but the calling.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I find um, a lot of bike tours Are single like do you do you think there's that right person out there that's that's interested to to tour and stuff and are you hoping to find that person Um, yes
1: I think there is a trade-off always a little bit philosophical between uh, freedom and uh, uh, freedom and safety or security Mm -hmm. and uh, being settled so for myself uh, like I know I'm probably Not the type of person who can be in a relationship, at least with somebody that likes to to stay in a city. Okay. This is uh, not where I want to spend the the big portion of my life. So probably I won't meet the right person in the city. I would like to... I want to just go with the flow of the things and see what happens. I would love to meet the love of my life on the road. So... (laughs) Wishing you luck, uh, my friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, but uh, all the options are open for me. Yeah. I'm a very spontaneous person.
0: Cool. Um, If people want to follow you and know more about you, where can they find you? Uh, Yes, I'm uh, fortunate
1: or unfortunate. I'm not a social uh, media type of person, but I would love to uh, uh, share my experience and help anybody who has any question uh, regarding the, the places I've been. Uh, so I, I have an email address and I have a, a personal Facebook account. I have an Instagram, but I haven't been very active on those. Uh, so my email address is Nima, N-I-M-A dot. My last name is Khalkali or Khalkali K-H-A-L-K-H-A-L-I at gmail.com. On Facebook, and anybody who's interested in bike touring, uh, they can send me a request. I post regularly. I I have all my routes, uh, like re- relatively re- um, you know, regular uh, posts. Okay. Uh, my trips is Nima, N-I-M-A, uh, space, S H okay. And also, I'm on Strava, so all my rides are recorded on Strava. It's on photos, and uh, so it shows all the route that I've done. Good to know. Yes, I'm like a sort of Strava animal, so I like to (laughs) do any biking that I do, put it on Strava. It's really cool because I can go back and, and see exactly what I do. Yeah, yeah. So it basically shows all the map, and you can download it, and and use it in you know other platforms
0: all right i'll put i'll put links to whatever i can find um i don't know if i have a way of putting a link to strava but most of the other things i can
1: yes so strava is Nima, and my last name have uh, two two part last name but the first part of it is uh, what i put on strava is Kalkali k-h-a-l k-h-a-l-i Kalkali. okay awesome well mm-hmm. Nima, hey
0: it was really great to have a chance to to finish off this uh Very long conversation, but it'll be a good two-part episode. And um, wishing you uh, an amazing Iranian New Year
1: and um, safe travels. Oh, uh, no problem. Thanks so much. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, uh, this interview and talking about my trip. That was wonderful to go back, go over my my memories. Thanks. Thank you so much, Chris. No problem. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Just a
0: quick thank you to Nima Khalhali. Thank you, Nima, so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me and share your story. It was really amazing. And I think you had so much good advice and so many good tips that you shared with people. And I think people will just feel inspired from, from your story. So that's it's fantastic. I want to end my show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I receive from you regularly. It really motivates me to keep going with this project and to share people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or go to www.biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and my new touring tips page, which is slowly getting created. I'll also be integrating the Touring Talk podcast episodes into the Touring Tips section so you can listen to or read on whatever topics you like. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can also become one of my show supporters by going to www.patreon.com slash biketouradventures, and for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. In the next episode, I'm interviewing Joe and Verity, a young British couple that have just recently, well, six months ago, returned from a cycle tour that took them from the United Kingdom all the way to New Zealand. So check it out next episode. This is a very inspiring episode for people that are looking to to take a break and then go back to their jobs and they kind of explain how they went about that. So it should be interesting. I think you'll love it. Tune in next week and keep on pedaling. Bye bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on peddling.